The reading from the Bible is from Hebrews chapter 11, starting at verse 23, which is on page 1210 of the Bibles in front of you. Verse 23. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be ill-treated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouth of lions, quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign enemies' armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they may gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goats, destitute, persecuted and ill-treated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray as we stand. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great truths we've been singing this evening the wonderful truths of hope and rescue in Christ alone. And we pray now that as we open your word, you might speak to us by your spirits, encourage our hearts in faith. Amen. 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 We do have a seat. Uh, Do keep Hebrews 11 open, and uh, on the back of your service sheet, you'll find a fairly detailed handout. There's quite a lot in this passage, so hopefully that will enable you to follow along. I don't know if you saw any of the coverage of Comic Relief. Uh, This year, one of the fundraising activities was that 10 celebrities climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. 
Uh, I'm sure you know the details, but at its peak, Mount Kilimanjaro is 5,895 metres above sea level. Uh, in old money, that is 19,341 feet. It's quite high. It's high. Uh, apparently, it's not an easy climb. Uh, Dan Walker, who hosts the BBC Breakfast News and uh, Football Focus, uh, described it as one of the hardest things he's ever done. Uh, and as they climbed, the team described how they fought uh, fatigue, exhaustion, altitude sickness, and all sorts of other battles, uh, physically and emotionally. Uh, I found, I googled uh, this mountain, and apparently a thousand people are, each year, roughly, are evacuated from the mountain, mainly due to altitude sickness. And about 10 deaths are reported. This is a, a seriously difficult climb. Now, when faced with the struggles of a climb like that, it's very easy, isn't it, to give up? To uh, want to return to the normality, the ease and comfort of a normal life back home. Just because you want the pain to stop. The journey up it is too hard. Suffering uh, discourages perseverance. Maybe you've experienced that on a, on a climb up a slightly smaller mountain. The more you suffer, the harder it is to keep going. And I think that's been the experience of the Christians that the letter of Hebrews is written to. Uh, back in chapter 10, we see that uh, since becoming Christians, the, the people have experienced conflict, persecution, the loss of their, their possessions, and they've done brilliantly. They've persevered for a while, but it's becoming too tough. And now they're tempted to give up. And that can very easily be our experience too. Perhaps we, we don't suffer to the extent the Hebrews did, but we can feel the cost, the pain of living as a Christian in this world. And as Rob reminded us two weeks ago, it makes us ask the question, is this worth it? The author writes this letter to encourage the Hebrews and us not to give up, to keep on going, to persevere in the Christian life. And he seems to suggest in these chapters that the means by which we do that is faith. Back in two weeks ago, in our first in the series, Rob said that faith equals trusting God at his words. That's one to three. And next week we'll see that better is to come for God's people, verses 39 to 40. Though the reality of these verses is that now, the reality of that faith might be costly. So, to encourage the Hebrews on that costly path, of persevering in faith, he gives us some examples of men and women who have done just that, persevered in faith. And the first is the story of Moses. And in Moses we see, uh, firstly, faith enables costly choices. Faith enables costly choices. How does faith do that? Well, verse 23, faith chooses to fear God, not man. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. 
Uh, as you read that, you wonder whether uh, Moses and Mrs. Moses have sort of fallen into the trap of new parents, where they're, they're a bit deluded by this, this feeling of overwhelming love and adoration for this new baby son. It's not unusual in the labour wards to hear things like, oh, it's, he's just the most beautiful baby I've ever seen. When the reality is that most newborn babies, including my own, more, look more like pit bulls chewing a wasp, don't they? All s- <laughs> scrunch up. Now, I think Moses' parents aren't suffering the delusion of newborn parents. No, they have probably had either some divine revelation or a deep sense from, of, from God that this little baby is going to grow up to do extraordinary things. For God. And so as a result, they, they make a choice by faith that would have been incredibly costly for them if they'd been caught. Rather than obey the king's edict that all the newborn Israelite boys should be thrown into the Nile, Moses' parents hired Moses for three months. Because of their faith, they choose to fear God, not man. Similarly, verse 27, we read that Moses, by faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. You, you might know the story that Moses, as he, when he's grown up, witnesses an Egyptian beating up an Israelite. And in a moment of anger, Moses kills the Egyptian. Pharaoh finds out and the punishment that Moses faces is death. And so, so Moses flees. And as we read the Old Testament narrative, perhaps we wonder, was Moses scared? But here we read, that's not why Moses fled. You see, if Moses could have wanted to, he could have stayed then, and at that moment started a rebellion to fight against the Egyptians, but he doesn't, because verse 27, he saw him who is invisible. Moses' flight from Egypt is not driven by fear, but faith. He saw him who is invisible. I think that phrase is a a really interesting one. I I read um, one commentator who uh, said that a, a sort of better translation would be this. For he kept the one who is invisible continually before his eyes. For he kept the one who was invisible continually before his eyes. See what the writer is saying? The writer is saying is the reason that Moses can persevere in faith is because of his focus. Because of what's before his eyes. The, um, the most basic rule of driving is keep your eyes on the road. Look ahead. I can still remember that moment only a few weeks after I passed my test where in a traffic jam I looked down to adjust the radio and looked up just in time to hit the brake before crashing into the car in front. Look where you're going when you're driving. Your focus is important. Focus matters. Moses, by faith, is so focused on God and his promise promise that better is to come, that he chooses to fear God, not man. Focus matters. Faith chooses to identify as one of God's people. 
verse 24. By faith, when Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. The Exodus tells us that after three months, Moses' parents put him in uh, a basket and floated him out onto the Nile. And he was uh, found in God's providence by Pharaoh's daughter. And as a result, he experienced one of the most privileged upbringings you could imagine in Pharaoh's household. And Moses could have enjoyed that privilege and that lifestyle until the day he died, but he doesn't. He chooses to identify as one of God's people. When he sees that Israelite being beaten up, he won't tolerate that because that's who he is. He's one of them. And as a result, faith chooses ill treatment over fleeting pleasures, verse 25. Verse 26, faith chooses disgrace over material possessions. In Pharaoh's household, Moses would have lacked nothing. Our kids this week away on holiday have uh, written down a list of things in their dream house. It's more of a city. (laughs) It's an incredible list. And that is, I I guess, a bit like Moses' upbringing. He has everything, money, power, prestige, status. And yet Moses sees those things for what they are. Fleeting pleasures that do not last. You see, Moses' focus is on the future. And as a result, he knows who he is. He fears God knowing that that will mean disgrace and ill treatment for him. How was Moses able to do that? Well, only because he trusted God at his word. He had faith. He knew that better was to come. He was looking ahead to his reward. So at this point in the sermon, I guess it's worth just asking ourselves a couple of questions, isn't it? To which people do you belong? God's people or the world? Well, perhaps many of us will say, well, well, God's people. Great. Well, the next question is, well, who do you want to be identified with? Who do you want to be known as? And who do you fear? If your focus now is on, on this world, then you're likely to fear people. And it will be almost impossible to let go of power, prestige, status. For these things become the things that define us. These are the things that give us credit in the eyes of others. These are the things that make you, you. And faith in God, well, it won't deliver those things for you. And so the result will be that either we'll we'll struggle on half-heartedly in the Christian life with a little sense of joy, or eventually we'll just give up. Sacrificing our eternal reward for temporary fleeting pleasures of this world. Who do you fear? To whom do you want to identify with? Couldn't we all do well to learn from Moses? who perseveres in faith because his focus is on his future rewards. He takes God at his word that better is to come. And that faith enables him to make difficult, costly choices.
Secondly, faith entrusts to God's promises. Uh, I'd like to make a little confession. I'm not proud of this, but when I was growing up, I was a serial nail picker. I don't recommend it. It's not a, not a good habit. Um, and in a moment of madness, to try and stop me picking my fingernails and my toenails, my dad said to me, if you stop doing this, I will buy you Premier Manager 2 for the PC. My mum couldn't believe it. That our family didn't do things like that. He made that promise. It wasn't expensive, in fairness. It was 10 quid. And it was amazing how easy it was for me to undo that habit when there was a reward in front of my eyes. The trouble is, not everyone keeps their promises, do they? If, if a promise is going to motivate you to persevere, you need to be sure that the one who made the promise will keep their words. Mum was not happy with this arrangement at all. But Dad had made a promise. And his word was his word. So I did get Premier Manager 2, and I wasted many a happy hour on that game. The author of Hebrews wants to remind us that we can entrust ourselves in faith to God because he will always deliver on his promises. He'll never let us down. And he gives four examples in these these verses of, of people or events where God's people had to entrust themselves to God, trust that God would deliver on his promises. So firstly, Israel had to trust God's promises in their escape from judgment. Verse 28. Imagine Israel going to bed on the night of the Passover. And as they put their heads on their their pillows, they have to trust that the blood they've sprinkled on their door frames would be enough for them to be spared by the angel of death. Israel had to trust, didn't they, in their rescue from slavery. Verse 29, God leads Israel out of Egypt. And their path ahead is is blocked by the Red Sea. And in the distance behind them, they, they see the clouds of dust from the Egyptian armies. And so God parts the sea for them to walk through. But how did Israel know that halfway across, the seas wouldn't just collapse back in? And they'd all drown. How did they know? How could they be sure? that they, they couldn't access the textbooks, could they, to assess the scientific phenomena and how it worked? No. They just had to entrust themselves to God's promises. Israel demonstrates their faith and trust in God in their willingness to step forward into the sea and walk across. Thirdly, Israel have to trust in their victory in battle. Verse 30. You can uh, imagine Joshua briefing Israel, can't you? And now look, the good news is that God has given us the city of Jericho. He's promised it. It'll be fine. Uh, All we have to do is march around the city once a day for six days. And on the seventh day, we need to march around it seven times and at the end, blow our trumpets. Simples. I mean, it's the most ridiculous and unlikely plan for conquering an enemy city, isn't it? But Israel do it. They entrust themselves to God's promise, that God's promise will give them victory in battle. 
And that's what happens. And in that victory, we see God deliver on his promise to give grace to the outsider. Verse 31, for Rahab sheltering the spies of Israel who were scoping out Jericho was incredibly risky. If she had been caught, she'd have probably been killed. But even though she's an outsider, she's not part of Israel, she fears God and entrusts herself to him and his people. But after the spies go, she's left waiting. She has to trust that God, through his people, will deliver on their promise. And what links all of these different events is that in all of them, what's promised is not immediately received. All of these people have to focus on the future. They have to trust that God will deliver on their promises. Living as a Christian for us is not always easy. But God has promised his people a better future. And these examples remind us that God will always deliver on that promise. And these people's experiences are experience. The Christian has experienced escape from judgment, rescue from slavery to sin, a victory over death and grace to the outsider. Christian, what you read in these verses is your story. And if God has done all this for you in Christ, why would you doubt his promise that better is to come? Faith entrusts to God's promises. Thirdly, faith empowers God's people. I mean, as if the author of Hebrews hasn't given us enough examples already. He goes on to mention all the people he could have talked about, but doesn't have the space. Verse 32, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. These great examples of, of faith, they conquered kingdoms, administered justice, who shut up the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames. There's some Daniel references and escaped the edge of the sword. See, what links all these characters is that none of them had it easy. In fact, they all suffered or faced death for their faith. And none of them received, or very few of them mentioned here, received any sort of assurance from God that everything would be okay. Yet their faith means they look to the future. They trust God's promises. And that empowers them to make a stand, to speak up, to face suffering and death with boldness. And verse 34, well, what happens? All of them found that their weaknesses were turned into strength. Each of them can testify to God's deliverance. They gained what was promised. They became battle, powerful in battle. They routed foreign armies. The dead were raised back to life. All these examples show us how faith empowers God's people in victory despite weakness. I mean, it's inspiring stuff, isn't it? It's, it's brave heart stuff. It's be like these people and enjoy victory over all the evil in this world. All this world can throw at you. Of course, the trouble is that 
victory is not always guaranteed at all, is it? Sometimes faith empowers God's people not in victory despite weakness, but in suffering and death. Look at verse 35b to 38. Others were tortured and refused to be released. Some faced jeers and flogging, while others, still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were put to death by the swords. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and ill-treated. Oh, I'm slightly less keen on this sort of faith. The writer here, I think, seems to be talking not so much about the greats of the Old Testament now, but the people who experience, God's people who experience persecution between the Old and the New Testaments. And they did not have an easy time. But their lack of victory was in no way a sign of their lack of faith. It was their faith in Christ that enabled them to suffer and persevere in that suffering as they did. And Christian life is it's not a nice, slow, relaxing walk along the beach. A Christian life is a long, hard slog up a mountain where we constantly have to battle the, the elements of this world and our, the elements our sinful hearts throw against us. One commentator said this, it really struck me, Uh, when I was preparing, faith in God carries with it no guarantee of comfort in this world. But it does carry with it great reward in the only world that ultimately matters. The journey is not easy, but the destination is worth it. And many of you will know that feeling when you have slogged your way up a mountain. It's been hard work the entire way up. At many points, you, your feet slip and you trip. You've got a few cuts and bruises. And at many points on the journey, you've longed for the comfort of a nice pub and a log fire. You see many others along the way giving up and you're so tempted to join them. But somehow you persevere step by step, minute by minute, meter by meter. You edge closely to the top and then finally you take that final step and you've reached it. And when you get there and you look out above the cloud line, the view takes your breath away. The sun comes out and it all seems worth it. And you almost forget the pain you've been through to get there. It's all worth it. See, what unites all these people of faith that we have looked at today is verse 35. They looked forward to a better resurrection. Some of these people saw victories and they temporarily escaped death. Others didn't. And none of them during their life experienced this better resurrection they look forward to. But they will and have. And when Christ returns, we will join them. That is our future. 
For it is Jesus' death and resurrection that guarantees our future resurrection. And so the writer of Hebrews says, focus on him. And keep going. And so he says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. Let's pray. Loving Father, you know our hearts this evening. You know uh, how we are doing on our journey of faith. Whether we feel bold and confident or whether we're stumbling and tripping and struggling. Father, wherever we're at this evening, we pray that by your Spirit you might use these words from Hebrews to encourage us to keep going. To keep on entrusting ourselves to your words, to your promises. And that you would remind us again and again that you always keep your word. And that you always deliver your people. Amen.